Hello again, friends, and welcome to another episode of Monolith Seeker. I am your host, Steve Osborne, and I want to thank you so much for tuning into this episode. This is a conversation I'm really excited to bring you with my new friend and the creator of New Retrieve Spirituality Magazine, Cole Weber. Cole's an awesome person. Uh, I started running into him pretty soon after moving into Pittsburgh. Um, you know, he just put out New Retrieves not too long after I got here. And uh, to find out somebody else was trying to do something in kind of the spiritual sphere that was coming out of the punk scene especially was really refreshing and awesome to me. And I was really excited to actually meet him and connect with him. We, we hit it off pretty quickly and were able to have some really amazing conversations right off the bat. He encouraged me to get this podcast going and he agreed to be on it pretty much right away. So I'm so happy that it finally was able to happen. Uh, yeah, Cole and I talk a lot about his upbringing and his interest in esoteric and mystic Christianity, as well as paganism, which is the main focus of uh, New Retreats magazine. I didn't know much about it before reading it and before talking to Cole, but the more I find out about it, the more I enjoy it. I love the metaphors. I love the practices. I think it's a, I think it's a great and valuable resource that we have. Um, yeah. Cole's an amazing person. Like I said, if you want to reach out to him, you can get a hold of him on Instagram at Newer Truths with an ES. Um, he explains why that is in the episode here. And uh, it's also NewerTruths at gmail.com if you want to email him. I'm told in the episode as well that he prefers that method of contact. So please reach out to him if you feel like it. Um, you can also feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions, concerns, um, any suggestions for books or, or topics for me to cover any, do you want to come on the podcast? I don't care. Hit me up. I'm so happy to have any conversation about this show and about the things we discuss. Um, you can get a hold of me on Twitter or Instagram at monolith seeker, as well as through email. Um, and it's monolith seeker pod at gmail.com. So yeah, please feel free to hit me up in any of those places. Um, you might notice there's a little bit of ambient noise in the background of this because I had to use a room mic. I don't have more than one microphone right now, and I also am just doing this in my apartment. So there's train noises, there's cars going by, you might hear dogs in the background, but I did my best to keep that to a minimum. I think we did a good job. The sound is as good as I could make it, but you know, hopefully that's not too distracting for you. But yeah. Without any further ado, I'll just go ahead and let it happen. So here is my interview with Cole Weber. Welcome, Cole Weber. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Um, so first off, I think the thing that I like to do now, or the thing that I want to do from now on in these interviews, is just ask people about growing up. Like, what was your life like growing up, and how did you get to where you are now? Okay. <laughs> um... I know that's a Shit. big question for, <laughs> for uh, just a short answer, but well, I don't have to go as long as you need answer. to. Yeah, go talk uh, for an hour. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I won't. Uh, so, um, my experience growing up, definitely without any kind of um, firm hand in terms of this kind of stuff, mm. religious stuff, spiritual stuff, any kind of super strong guidance. Uh, both of my parents are, are and were young alternative people. Um, so there was always kind of a, a touch of stuff on the periphery. I don't think it was super important to either of them necessarily. Um, nor do I think either one, they're both raised in like kind of vaguely 
American Christian households, but nothing that was like super intently going to church. I don't think either of them really right. went to church very much. They didn't like um, instill anything no. directly related to that into you. No, and it existed again, like on a periphery, but it didn't really matter so much to even like branching out generations of the family. Um, but definitely, you know, kind of swept up in a mid to late nineties, uh, you know, vaguely uh, Eastern religion okay. influence into like hardcore stuff. Okay. My dad was uh, playing in hardcore bands, and I do believe. Do you like shelter that... and shit, or like? <laughs> Does anyone really like shelter? I used boo, to. Boo, boo, boo. I, I used to dig some shelter. Tracks, I actually, but... I like some shelter songs quite a bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, I think they probably had some like prasad at a couple like, Hindu temples and stuff like that because it was, like, yeah. the thing to do. That's that's cool, it. though. Um, to at least have exposure to that. My dad's first band, I do remember they're called Slowpoke. They were, like, very early 90s. Um, very, like, Slugfest or, like, one of those kind of, like, heavy, tight, tinny snare bands. Cool. No disrespect to my dad. He played, <laughs> he played the tight, tinny snare. Um, I mean, he was super young, but there's, like... As I'm flashing back to it, like uh, Kali Yuga references in the lyrics and stuff. And oh, like, that's a hot one right now, actually. It's red hot. I I literally just heard about that today with the Joe Rogan shit talking about Kali Yuga. And oh, like, I did. Oh, that no, that's like apparently him and John Joseph, of all people, have been posting about the Kali Yuga, and I saw like some friends of mine posting about like how the Kali Yuga. That they're talking about specifically, their like interpretation of it is reference to this woman who was like in the 40s trying to combine Hindu belief with Nazism. Uh, and that okay. they were talking about, you know, how the Kali Yuga is like this uh, Yuga of struggle. And then the next era will be, you know, the the prosperous one once they tamp out all the things that are causing the struggle. Sure. That's not the actual Hindu interpretation of it exactly. No. It is like a, you know, a tumultuous time, but it's not like, you know, the weak conquering the strong as they're kind of they're kind of presenting it. I think it's also, and this is this is some layman stuff right here, but it's also like fifty five thousand years or something super right. long. Like, yeah, I don't know you guys like, are like, are, are, I don't even comprehend the yeah. like the Hindu like measurements of time. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah I, I don't know enough about that, but it's uh, yeah, that's cool. Not that cool at all, actually. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean that that stuff like. I was aware of it, and I definitely, like, can remember, you know, my parents were just, like, liberal people that that did cooler stuff. So I think, I'm sure there were experiences that I had as a young person that that stuff was around and maybe, like, not directly fed to me or directly given to me, but it was just kind of in existence in some way where who knows what kind of, like, sopped up into my brain right. for that period of time. Um, but then also like intermittently going to certain like Christian churchy events for cousins christenings and little right. things like that, that like truly, I mean, I think it's super prevalent in our generation now, but just not even understanding any of the like methodology or understanding the symbolism and just like yeah. sitting and like 
what at the time as a, a young young person was just like a big boring room and just being like oh i'm familiar with all the this, big boring room all this formality <laughs> and all this stuff is yeah. just like you know probably being fed some of that like it's worthless it's useless it's it, you know yeah it's just these stupid people stupid thing um and definitely feeling that way was it's that like, was that your parents view on it directly but definitely in like a subtler way it definitely just felt like oh that's that thing that like all our like you know boring neighbors do or are like okay. these people that just like they don't matter they're, yeah, they're just it's like a, it's a normie thing yeah okay. in a way <laughs> um which you know I'm, I'm sure for a lot of people um and i found this a ton too like that sticks Mm-hmm. The same way that a lot of Christian stuff sticks. Right. If you do it when you're younger, that, like, kind of, like, what's well, just fucking dumb. Or, right. oh, it's just fucking stupid. It's just fucking garbage. Like, that level of um, dismissal of it, I think, is totally locked in for certain people. And, and I, I think that's totally fine. Right. But um, I don't know. It, it did not stay locked in for me. So Yeah. So <laughs> what made you switch from – because, like – We've talked about this before. You're like one of the teachings you attach to most now is Christianity, right? It's, it's, yeah. I mean, it's been something that has kind of pulled a 180 on me for sure. And and not so much even looking for it because there were plenty of instances as I became a teenager and a young adult where it, it re entered in some way. And I still was like, eh, it, it is not necessarily what I'm looking for. Um, but I think more recently, yeah, I think versions of it right, yeah. have, have really kind well, of struck me. Well, yeah, like, I mean, fundamental. Like, your, your uh, zine, Newer Truths, you talk to, like, neo-pagans and, mm-hmm. the, like, yeah, fundamentalist Christians are not friendly with neo-pagans in any way. Uh, <laughs> they don't, ex- you know. I, who like, knows? Obviously, the internet's a weird place now. Well, yeah, <laughs> but I, I just, yeah, that's true. But I mean, like, just historically, like, sure. that is, like, the the MO of Christianity in Europe specifically is find the pagans and stomp them out or, surprise, surprise, or, surprise. or co-opt what they're doing and make it Christian. Right. And that's how you end up with, you know, Christmas and Easter being what they are now, this weird conglomerate of buying and selling things and also nativity scenes and shit. Like, sure. Yeah, just trying to take over other people's celebrations. Well, I think um, uh, this is something you and I have talked about before, but um, having, there, there was a lot of time in my kind of early teenage years where um, I was actually, you know, even further back, you know, diagnosed on the autism spectrum when I was younger and, you know, had treatment involved in that that, you know, kind of put me in a place where I felt in that kind of othered space where I was like, oh, like this is like its own separate thing and like I'm going to be looked at differently as a result. And a lot of like self consciousness and, and things that would surround that of like, well, do I like, come across to people as, like, this radically different thing that, like, I have to be, like, you know, I don't know the right way necessarily to describe it, but that kind of, like, almost um, infantilization of, of people who mm. are on the spectrum or who are of different kind of mental stuff where it's just, like, you're disregarded because you're a ward. You're, you're something to be cared for. Yeah. Um, I think that came into my brain really early in, in my kind of, 
self-discovery time where I was starting to just think of myself as being and not just like a child that was being cared for. Um, I started to think about that and, and I started to, to like kind of look at intently from a place of anxiety and from a place of like being worried, like how am I perceived? How, how, how am I being looked at by people around me? Um, and it generated a ton of dread and a ton of like, you know, well, I'm just going to be this like other thing for most of my life that, that I have to go get treatment and I have to go and like talk to therapists to be able to like do these basic human social things. And like, I don't know, like I've told the story, you know, we've talked about this as well. Like this kind of moment where I started to look at my body really intently and think about the ways that I didn't present maybe the way that I wanted to. Right. Um, someone made a comment when I was probably 14 or 15, like, Oh, you, you walk really stiff. You have a really stiff walk. And I, I like, didn't really move my shoulders or my arms a lot when I was walking. It was like kind of like a bouncy, like almost like cartoon character walk that I had. And I remember feeling when I was that age, like, oh, like, fuck, what the fuck do I do with this? Like, this is my body. Like, what the fuck can you do with your body? It exists. And you just, you know, like, <laughs> it, stop it. Yeah. <laughs> this is it. This is the way that I'm going to communicate with the world for the rest of my life. Um, and I think in talking about that, like, kind of spiritual conception moment where I really started to open up and feel like, you know, thinking about some of these bigger concepts, I think was in looking at something like my walk and being like, well, like what even is my walk? What is that? Is it something that my body just does or is it something that I have control of? Is it something that can change? Is it, is it perceived differently by all people Do certain people see it a certain way? And I think intrinsically that that is true, but you know, starting to feel like, perhaps some of these things that are taken for granted are actually things that we have control of. And I remember it coming from kind of like an anxious place, but like changing the way that I walked in a way that I wasn't like forcing necessarily a different walk, but just thinking about my body when I was moving yeah. and being like, wow, well, I can, I can walk differently if I want to. Like, it's not, I don't know. It's not like I like pulled off a miracle. Like I just, right thought about moving my shoulders a little bit more when I walked or I thought about the bounce that was in my step and was like, am I doing this because I'm like, you know, it almost became like an exercise of actively thinking of walking, which sounds right. insane. But like, I think that kind of active embodied action is the basis of so much spiritual work and so much Definitely. kind of greater um, maneuvering through the world is just like, how do I start to take accountability for all of these things and all right. of my actions and all of my thoughts. Like they're not just the finite thing. It's not just the walk. Right. It's that's so crazy to me still though, that you connected that like at that age that early with the bigger concepts, because like, I think I told you that, I mean, I've thought about the way I walked before too. I had like changes to do when I was younger, but they were all very superficial to me. It was all, I'm going to do sure. this so I don't get made fun of <laughs> or like, uh, like, I think I told you before that I, I changed my laugh on purpose. Like sure. that was the thing that like, I used to laugh really loud when I was young and I got made fun of for it a lot. So I started just kind of snickering and like being really quiet with my laugh and like, you know, like I'd laugh through my nose and shit and it was sure. like really subdued. And then I live with this guy who would like scream laugh. Like you could hear him like two blocks down when he's inside. Like, if he thought something was funny, he didn't give a shit. He would just start screaming about it. And that, like, encouraged me to open up about it. And I thought about, like, you know, the way that I respond to things naturally. 
and, you know, my relationship to my body and things like that. But it never went deeper than that for me. So the fact that you connected that to the bigger concepts is still really wild to me. Well, I think kind of where it struck me was like, you know, in using the example of a laugh, let's say, like maybe you had a laugh that came from, you know, being a kid and being influenced by people around you or, you know, that mixed with kind of just where your body thought a laugh came from was where you laughed. Right. Versus that laugh that you did feel like was constructed by um, another person's perception of you and your reaction to that versus now what is probably you... Uh, albeit, you know, as an adult or as a person who thought about it more or whatever brought you to where you are, it's probably just the laugh you want to do, the laugh right. that feels comfortable and the laugh that makes you feel embodied in a laugh. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's what it is now. Like, yeah. I don't even think about it anymore, but it was something that I did spend a lot of time thinking about. And I never, I never got down to thinking about how much control I have over myself and my environment in those spaces as much, though. It was just like... It would just end with the thought, <laughs> you know, sure. that this is a laugh. I need to, you know, I need to change it or I'm allowed to be louder now. Like those, that was the depth of the, of the idea. Like how did you, so how, how did that bore out into you like exploring more like spiritual concepts? Well, the, the other end of that, I guess, is that I was always so sick as a kid. Like not like cold sick, but just like maligned with whatever like weird gut problems and weird like you know blood circulation problems and all these things that were not life-threatening like I wasn't on death's door but I was always just like oh like I just feel so terrible and I think that also kind of plays into like feeling the body is you know certainly we still exist you know we live in the United States we have a western medicine that tells us like here's your pill yeah. Good luck, you know. Um, but having even a lot of influence in the other direction of having, you know, my mom is super, um, always been super hands-on with my health and on, on multiple fronts, mental, physical, you know, I, everything I was dealing with, um, always a great advocate for that. Um, and, you know, and feeling always so like, I feel like so much of my illness, which is still totally a huge part of my life, you know, I'm sure it will be for a long time, um, is just feeling bogged down and feeling weak and feeling like, you know, so kind of heavy, um, because it is a lot of like gut issues and, um, you know, blood circulation and all that stuff. It's just, you feel cold and you feel like, you know, stagnant. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, and I think trying to explore that and coming across this problem, which, uh, my friend Hannah, and I have talked about, uh, she used a term once that I thought was so, like, brilliant for it. Um, but it, that's escaping me at this moment. It basically, like, the anxiety of feeling like you have to find the answer to fix something. Right. And the anxiety of, like, oh, like, uh, my gut's blocked up. I took Centileaf and Centileaf didn't work. Centileaf's supposed to work, and now I have to find something that's better than Centileaf, but Centileaf gets the best possible reviews on, on how to clear one's gut in a, in a you know, uh, you know, natural way. Like, right. what, what am I going to do? Like, spirals you outwards, yeah. For sure. Um, feeling that anxiety a lot. Not having a name for it for most of my life, but feeling like, fuck, like, I tried this thing, and it didn't work, and it wasn't the answer, and I have no other clear answer of what the answer is. So now I'm going to go searching for that just to try another thing that might not work. Like, 
that's a total spiraling anxiety that I feel like a lot of people um, contend with and maybe don't know the, the terminology for it, don't, don't have like a, a clear face for it. But that like, uh, uh, what, what does one do? And I, I think it totally like opens up into kind of existential dread of like, I, you know, want to be something or do something and I don't have it now or I go and do it and it's not good enough. So I have to do something else. Like it feels like, especially with, um, how much visibility there is from the internet and from the way that the culture is now, like every, the entire total plane of existence is in front of us and we're kind of being fed to just try and try and try and try and try and expect that at some point we're going to have this like ingenious moment of like, yes, this is it. Yeah. This is, this is the answer. It's been found for me and it won't be the same for everybody, but it's like, one day you just become a firefighter and you're like, I was born to be this firefighter. Like, <laughs> and that's beautiful if that actually happens for somebody. But um, contending as a young person and, and questioning all the time, like, well, I'm like fucking sick and I'm fucking like exhausted and my, my purpose is just to do this. It's just to like feed, feed this illness for a long time or feed this like desire to do something. Like I write and I do all this stuff and I was like, well, do I, do I just do that? And I think I was always maybe just a contrarian or maybe just antagonistic, but I was always like, I don't want to just put it all in there and do it. I don't want to like do the whole thing. I, you know, I've gone down many paths of different things in my life, but like, I don't want to go to school, get the English master, you know, do, do everything that kind of that path of being a writer and being an academic in that field was, or, um, I don't know. There's so many things that I feel like apply to that, but it was more in the questioning of like, okay, well, w w what do I do with these problems without explicitly searching for answers was always what I was looking for. It's like, I'm not, it's stupid to think like, oh, I just fix my gut and then my gut's better. Yeah. No, it's going to get worse. It's right. a body. It's like, <laughs> you know, throw shit into it all the time. Yeah. Like, who knows what, what's going to come of it. Um, I think, you know, doing that kind of existential questioning, I, I just was not, like, I don't know. Not getting wrapped, wrapped up in the minutia of it so much as, as what's the bigger reason, what's the purpose here? Well, it just felt kind of phony to me because it was, like, so much of it was, like, well, I, I have this, like, complicated mental health problem mm -hmm. where my anxiety to control things, which is the, the crux of most anxiety that we feel, is, is to... You know, I, I feel like I was manipulative. I was anxious in a way where I avoided certain things or kind of stacked the deck so that I didn't have to do certain things because it would expose my anxiety or expose me looking different or all, all these kind of things, you know, that, that were happening at the time. And I just felt like, wow, like this anxiety is, is a job that, that I'm dealing with it. The way that I'm dealing with it right now is like it's a it's a. It's career anxiety. Yeah, man. <laughs> and I, I'm doing so much yeah. in, in the direction of, like, hard work to stack a deck so that it looks effortless. Yeah. That I'm not actually enjoying anything I'm doing. Wow. And, and what, what, what's, you know, why continue doing that? Right, yeah. <laughs> and I feel blessed it's, that I had that thought earlier rather than that's, later. Yeah, that's great. But, I mean, so I feel like so many people live like almost their entire lives without ever thinking like wait why am i 
<laughs> why am I working so hard to keep up an appearance? Or why am I working so hard sure. to, like, make other people think that I'm a certain way? You know, like, I don't know. that. Uh, I, I talk to people, you know, that I know. I won't even say how. But uh, that, you know, are well into, like, their 50s and 60s that, like, still are having a full-time, making a full-time job out of keeping up an appearance or, you know, making sure nobody thinks they're weak in, in one way or another, you know, yeah. like that is, yeah, that's a, that's a fucking big thing to get that quickly. And that's not to say that I've attained some kind of crazy No, but I mean, just, just the thick. realization of it alone, sure. right, is like, is the step, like that's the first step to any of it, is understanding that like, that, like what, the, what use is this? For me, it was just miserable, and it just reached a point where, like, you know, in my interactions with other people and in my experiences, I just started to feel like, oh, man, like, I I know how much work I put in with, with this to make it seem like I'm just completely contented or I'm just, it's just easily I fit into this when I really wasn't. I was yeah. having a really hard time navigating socially and feeling, like, engaged with, even stuff like doing punk stuff or doing hardcore stuff or doing like any of the kind of those kind of delivered social circles where like once you're in your fucking family, man, you're in, you know? Yeah. I was being true to that way by a lot of people, but it's still, I knew that I was still doing so much work. I mean, most people do so much work to be able to maintain uh, a social facing persona yeah. um, that that works for them and, and gets them the things that they want out of life. And I think I just was really succumbing to the exhaustion of it and thinking like, well, it's almost like I, I only exist in our world as this like built thing. Right. And I'm so curious what it would be like to be unbuilt to some degree. Yeah. And, and what is the, what is the raw, right. What does the raw existence look like? Right. Um, and yeah, I, I think it, it took me a while to start to connect that to spirituality as a blanket term because, again, like, you get fed, like, well, if you're not well, you just meditate. Right. You'll get there. Yeah, there's there's just as many. Well, I mean, it is, like, I, I feel like a lot of that shit has been westernized the same way the medicine has. It's like, you take sure. this, you'll get better, or we could prescribe you meditation, you'll get better. You know, right. it's all it's all procedural and not not as much emphasis put on the experiential part of it or like the right. exploration part of it or the you know, just letting things be what they are. That that's just right. not something Western culture likes to do. It has to be changed into something productive and presentable and And it has to have an answer. Right. And and I think that's what's so frustrating both for me as someone who's seen other people struggle or seen other people kind of put themselves in a position that's a little, you know, perhaps um, short-sighted. I almost want to say selfish, but I don't say that in a judgmental way, um, where they're like, well, I went and did this thing and, and it totally opened my eyes and now my eyes are open and it's incredible. Right. I'm non-dual. Right. <laughs> and I've become non-dual. I figured it out. <laughs> yeah, and, and that, that's not me. You know, there's a lot of... Um, uh, there's a lot of belief in the direction. I think it, it's, you know, it's great to, to be looking at the world in a way where you're like, I, I want to f- explore these things and I want to like fulfill myself in different ways. And that's not to say that, that doing that is not 
key, but I, I think at the moment where you start to like look at it as completed, mm-hmm. then you're looking at it as like might as well be fucking groceries or something. Like right. you went and got it and you're gonna consume it and then it's it's there you go. Like, right. Yeah. It's, it's not a thing you just go get. Yeah, I hear that. That's, that's, I mean, when you talk about the non-dual thing, it's crazy. I had, like, this morning when I was meditating, I had a very, like, crazy non-dual moment. Like, I say I say a few things before I meditate that are kind of, like, statements, not even affirmations. They're just more statements. Sure. And as they were coming out of my mouth, I heard them in a completely different way that, like, connected me to a very non-dual place while I was meditating. And it felt fucking amazing. I tried to stay in that place as long as I could. But then immediately, like, as soon as I get up, I'm thinking about bills and, like, (laughs) you know, washing dishes and all this other shit. And all of a sudden, all that stuff that was me a minute ago is now all this other shit I have to deal with. And I'm here and it's over there. And it's very, like, that's that's not an easy thing to maintain, even if you can touch it for a second. It is like the hardest fucking thing to keep in mind. Well, you're not supposed and feel. to. I, I I feel like there I feel like there are people who can, but those people are the people that books get written about. You know, those are the people that like you know right. do things that most people don't believe they can do. But yeah, I would almost hope too that those people kind of have the same vision of it, and I think a lot of them do. And and in starting to kind of speak about my own kind of you know, the, the, the teachers and the thinkers that I, that I read into, um, there is a lot in the direction of, um, looking at it as like, most of us don't get the ability to just exist in like a sort of, um, the, the post meditative glow of Mm -hmm. like being in a place where, where you're able to just exist kind of infinitely in your own moment. It doesn't really exist most of the day. Um, Richard Rohr was, uh, he's a, um, you know, Christian, um, I want to say he's Franciscan, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, um, he's a Fran- Franciscan friar, I think. I believe that is his chosen way. Um, <laughs> he, the Franciscans are pretty badass for yeah. for the for the Christian sects. They're one of my favorites to read from. <laughs> sure. Um, he is someone who kind of made mention of like, yes, the non-dual place is fantastic. It's great to not have to, you know, exist so much in the mundanities of, of the world, but you will. You right. have to. And and to totally discount that is is being negligent to a degree because you'll have to return to that place right. to be able to exist. Well, that's like even like when Ram Das talks about his guru, Neem Karoli Baba, like, that's somebody that he said was always living in the non-dual, but he also was on the level of the dual as well. He understood it all. It's not that you're just one place and you're above it all and you move away from it all. You're still here in a body. Right. So you have to experience being here in a body because that's what you're here to do. For sure. And especially if you're going to interact with anybody else, they're going to look at your body and say, that's you, <laughs> you know? So even to have a coherent conversation with you right now, I have to acknowledge that we are looking at each other from different points of view and not, you know, like for me, for me to be in the place that I was this morning, when I said I, I would mean literally everything in existence, including you. And there would be no way to have a conversation that way. You can't talk to people. You can't experience a life 
that we're here, I believe, to experience. I believe that's the whole point of being here mm-hmm. is to experience that separation. You can't have that without an ego. You can't have that without a point of view. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, I like Richard Rohr is dead on. I feel like with that, yeah. you know, because I mean, uh, anything else is just spiritual bypassing. Right. And, you know, really, I, I, I think, you know, I also meditate and I, I, I do stuff to you know, visit our, our subtler realms, uh, and, and, and to, to, to try to kind of expand into that. Um, but it, so much of it is, you know, because of, as I said, like a, a desire to, um, I don't know, I, I want to call it uncomplicated, but I, I think that's kind of short-sighted too. to, to look at it as, as an uncomplicating, as if ego is a thing that complicates. Cause I think, Really, ego is just, in a lot of ways, just navigating right. a maze. I, th- I think it, I mean, making it a maze, though, it would be technically complicating it, though, <laughs> I feel like. But I mean, also, I, I feel like that's the point. Complicating sure. it is the point. That's what we're, like, like uh, yeah, the feeling of, of oneness is incredibly uncomplicated because it literally just is existence and saying that anything in existence is is all there is and I'm part of that and that's all one so like that that just completely undoes the maze but then when you come back into this ego to experience the maze that's that's what it's there for because how could you even know what a maze was if you didn't have a point of view to see that I'm here and I have to get there and it's fucking complicated, <laughs> you know? Sounds like you're in a cooler maze. I, mean, I, I, guess, I, I guess when I say it's a maze, I, I'm more so just thinking of it as, like, if you feel trapped, you're moving in the direction of feeling untrapped. Right. That, that is the, the um, ego experience in a lot of ways in the way that I look at it. I think that's probably an oversimplification, but it, it's looking at problem-solving to get to a, f- a fonder reward, I right. guess, is, is where I see it. And so much of what I feel like perhaps makes, um, you know, the, the meditative state and, or the non-dual state or whatever you want to call it so gratifying is that it, it more accepts how complicated things are right. and, and decides to move with it right. instead of trying to kind of construct architecturally around it. Right, and, and, and or to, wiggle your way out. <laughs> right, like um, probably the the most read thinker currently for me that I, that I draw the most from is uh, Cynthia Bourgeau. Right. And Cynthia Bourgeau is a student of um, Thomas Keating, who I believe was also a student of Merton for some period of time. Oh, okay. Um, and... You know, that was the first name you said in that line that I'm actually from. And I know Thomas Merton is a little bit. But. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, pretty pretty renowned dude. Yeah. Um, but kind of bringing a sort of you know, I, I don't even necessarily think it has to. I have you know some attractions to um, Christian figures and Christian symbolism and things, but it, it you know applies across a lot of meditative religions and of religions in general is just kind of that what is the force of God right what is that kind of greater um, presence that everyone directs to um, 
I, I have my opinions of it and, you know, can can maybe draw into that a little bit more when we even get into some of the pagan stuff. But Yeah, you can um, share that if you like. What do you think that <laughs> oh, is? I, I definitely yeah. will. But um, Cynthia talks a lot about um, that kind of experience within mm-hmm. the God presence, um, the cosmic Christ to go into um, sort of that mystic tradition of right. kind of how they speak about it. Um, Christian mystic, uh, Christian mystic tradition. That's a right. It, it's a it's right a tongue twister. Um, <laughs> I was trying to explain to somebody who Meister Eckhart was earlier today, and I, yeah. I, I tried to, uh, that same <laughs> sentence just doesn't fall out very easy. It does yeah. not, <laughs> as it shouldn't, maybe. But uh, yeah, in, in thinking about kind of where um, meditation and all those things come in, it, it is kind of the goal is to kind of be washed over by that that God force or right. that, that kind of spiritual view that we have. It, it's not something that you want to control. You're not going into meditation to grab it. Right. You're not going into meditation to step through the doorway into the, the cosmos and then you're there. Right. It's more so, you know, I'm entirely certain there's probably a lot of meditation where for a lot of people where absolutely nothing happens. I, I think that's, the best med- I mean, like, yeah. te- like technically, I talked about in my last interview with Roxanne about this. Like, sh- she's uh, one of the people that kind of directed me towards the type of meditation that I do now. Mm-hmm. And she was telling me all these really wild experiences that she had that she was engaging with, where she literally like stepped through a frame into another like existence for a moment, and like had all these things come to her. But in the middle of explaining that, she's like, you know, any like well-versed meditator, any meditative teacher will tell you to not engage with that. Like Mm -hmm. meditation is literally just sitting and like, that's it. You're supposed to just focus on existing and that's all. You don't need the other stuff to come. And I feel like people get jealous when that doesn't. I I do. I get jealous of people when I hear like, oh, I had this insane, you know, thing happen when I meditated. I heard this voice, this thing came to me and it changed my life forever. That's makes me kind of jealous, but also understanding that, like, literally the whole point of meditating is to block all that shit out and just be here. Just be existing and, right. you know, well, it's just a practice. be. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's practice for being. <laughs> right. And, and I think in it being a practice and in approaching it that way, you're not really approaching it um, toward a goal. I think the ideal in practice is not – you don't practice to win the game – you practice so that you're more equipped to play a game that you can win. Right, right. I, I think, I'm trying to remember who said this. I heard it a long time ago, but uh, I was trying to talk to somebody about accomplishing things while meditating pretty early on into my practice, and somebody pointed me to this, uh, I can't, I, like I said, I can't remember who it is, but they were saying that essentially, like, enlightened beings are like, you know, spiritual higher teachers don't take time to meditate because meditation is just what happens when they sit down. Right. Because that's it. Like, I'm sitting and I'm here. <laughs> and that's it. That's right. all it's supposed to be. Sure. It doesn't have to be yet, like you're saying. So, that, I don't know. I, I, I think about that often and it, it kind of tries to, it knocks me out of my, my jealousy of people who can connect with aliens or whatever the fuck they're talking yeah. to, you oh, know? Absolutely. Angels. That shit's you know? cool, though, too. I like Incredible. You know, yeah. I, I, you know, 
I think where it's most affirming for me is, is because, like I said, there was so much anxiety in the need for control or what one does when one isn't controlling. Right. That generated so much dread in me for so long because I was like, well, if I'm not controlling, then the world isn't, isn't going to work for me. Yeah. So what do it's I do? It's not going to be what I want. <laughs> but, but when you're able to find more acceptance in that, it's, oh, it's the, the best. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, because it's, it's so much of reality is, is things you, you shouldn't even look at with degrees of control. No right. one really controls it. It's just people exerting pressure in some direction and yeah. then the pop of yeah. something happening. Something gives or takes or does whatever, yeah. Right, but it's, for me, it was totally just a desire to, to you know, approach a, a closer sense of existing without a need for dynamic control yeah. in my life. Um, and I, I don't meditate every day, and, and if I miss it, it is unfortunate and I, and I don't like, I, I do look forward to doing it, but I also accept that, you know, you know, and, and in speaking too about the way that, um, the idea that really hit it with, with Cynthia Bourgeau with me was just like, it's going to hit you in, in whatever moments. And I think most people have felt those experiences where things lined up in such a way that we were like, you know, God was tapping us on the shoulder and, and giving us the little push that, that right. felt like we were like, oh, I'm so strapped in. Like, this is it. Yeah, yeah. I, everything is fluid. Everything is just working. Um, I think that is kind of um, a, a God in motion moment. Right. Where, where, where you're engaging in that way. Um, but that there is no control of those moments. And, and if you stack that deck perfectly again to be in the same position, right. to be touched that way, it's not going to happen. Yeah, dude, definitely. Like, I mean, even there's been times that I will be reading something and I'll like have a feeling come over me like this is what I'm supposed to be doing right now. This is what I'm supposed to be taking in. Mm -hmm. And I've, tr I've literally tried to go back and sit and like read that same part over again. And the feeling doesn't come back. Mm -hmm. It is like the time that, you know, it's... I don't know. It, it is a very time and place thing. It's a very special moment, and it's something that I, I that you can't chase because mm -hmm. the second you start looking for it, it go, it's gone. And that's mm -hmm. like meditation too. Like the second you think, "Oh, I'm doing it. I'm I'm being," <laughs> then then you're not anymore. Right. You're you're out of it. it. It's I don't know. It's it's a really wild, hard. Like yeah, there's no there's no gripping it. There's no controlling it. It just happens. It just is, and it's the most like unhuman thing I feel like it is like it's the opposite of human nature and it's something that we have to like actively work towards I mean you can't say it's not human because of what I mean I guess I you know to, to zoom into the, the magazine stuff a little bit um, one of the articles that I'm working on for this newest issue is um, a response to um, the pagan kind of um uh, a concept for them that's called theogenesis, mm -hmm. which is that there is a governing earthen body that, that we all exist as part of and under and within, and it's, you know, um, all those things, um, you know, certainly as commodification would have it, it becomes that kind of, like, sensuous mother earth image that, right. you know, I think is, you know, appropriate in certain ways, but also kind of oversimplifies it. Um, theogenesis in its conception um, was kind of like an agendered kind of like God presence. Mm -hmm. um, 
but something that was looked at as kind of the interpreting of the system, not only of this earth body, but also of us as people and us existing as part of it, as its organs, as its, as, uh, you know, a mechanism as part of it. Um, And one of the articles that I'm working on is kind of like looking at human action as something, you know, the the thing that like hit me because so much of the magazine does exist kind of in like a, not a parody, nor is it like a totally faithful representation of new age magazines and new age thinking and all those things. Um, the, you know, I feel like argument of the past 10 years or so, um, the like Zen rock statues that people oh, yeah, yeah. make in the woods, um, there began an argument like, well, those are disruptive. Those are inhumane because salamanders live under those rocks. And if you raise the rock and take away the salamander's um, perfect temperature, then it will disrupt the ecosystem. Yeah. Um, Which I'm not arguing against that being scientific fact. I guarantee that it is. Um, But more so kind of starting to view human action as... I mean, yes, it is destructive. We're right. we're consuming beings. We consume things to exist. Right. Um, and we disrupt things to exist. We are disruptions. We're bodies that exist in a space. Um, and kind of just that, you know, total rejection of certain things like that. Well, that's absolutely uh, unethical and disgusting yeah. that someone would do that. It's like, well name me a perfectly ethical thing that a human being does in a day. I don't think there is one. Right. When you say that, I just think back to, I have a lot of friends that when they see that shit without any, like, without any moral or any, like, scientific reason behind it, they see that shit, they'll just kick it over. Sure. They just kick it as far as they can. I like that even more. But but it's, it's literally, like, the correction. It's like, if this is if this is an offense, then here's the the correction to it, and it's just two parts of human nature interacting. It was someone's human nature. It was someone's idea that right. this was a good thing to do to stack these rocks, and it was somebody else's idea. Fuck those rocks! <laughs> I'm gonna kick them yeah. over, you know. And and that I think is almost more inherently in line with what I'm talking about. Of just like, I would rather see it that way than what I feel like is such a rampant issue. Um, in, you know, the the cultural kind of structure right now, which is this, like, looking at things as being gamified. Right. And being structured in such a way where you reach the end. Yeah. Kind of as we've discussed of, like, well, this is just unethical, so it must end. And it's like, I have very strong beliefs that a lot of things are unethical and should end. Right. By all means. But it isn't necessarily conducive to actually working and and creating a better change to just say, well, this is the answer at the absolute most end. Right. Um, Enters into your, your dual consciousness argument, but, you know, seeing so many things as like, um, even as we've been talking about, like, well, I do yoga and I'm better. It's like, there are people that do yoga and get better, but what does that really mean? You know, what? what is the ultimate goal if not, you got to keep living. You have to keep doing it. So, like, 
props to you if you, you know, find something that is the absolute end for you, but I, I don't think that's the way that most people actually operate. Well, that, that's that's actually one of my favorite, like, Ramdas things, not to bring him up all the time, but he's my one of my guys. Sure. <laughs> but that's something that he talks about pretty heavily in a lot of his, like, lectures and stuff is the, like, the thing he says most often is, I don't want to be a meditator, I want to be free. I don't want to be a, a yogi. I want to be free. I don't want to be, you know, a sadhu. I don't want to be. I don't want to be any of these identities. Yeah. Like these practices don't define what I'm looking for. They're tools, and at a certain point, the tools become things that weigh you down. But you have to use the tools to get to a point where they are weighing you down, so that you can let them go. Sure. And it's kind of a whole continual process. It's not like I do this and now I'm done. It's I do this and I'm getting to a place where I, I feel like I'm progressing, but now this is not suitable for where I'm progressing to, so now there's something else I need to find. It's, it's all just method and trading methods and you know learning, learning the ins and outs of them so that you know when they're not working anymore and you can get rid of them. Right. And it's not like... I I don't know. I, I attach to that a lot. I agree with that a lot because I there I don't think there is like you're saying there isn't an end point. There isn't a because I mean that that's like again one of the whole reasons I started this podcast because I did all the stuff that I wanted to do. I thought that like playing shows in other countries on other continents would be the thing that fulfilled me. And once I got there, that's it. I'm good. And then I did it all and came back here and. Now what? <laughs> I, you know, at the time I was 28, and it's like, damn, that's not even half my life. Mm-hmm. And I did all that shit. Now what? I've got so much more shit to do. And, like, yeah, I'm just still here. So it's a, it's a matter of constantly looking to just keep growing and not, not giving up at any point, but also not thinking I'm done and I've, you know, like, because it's always going to be a process. I think that's to be embodied is is that right you know, I, I think uh, I think I think beings without bodies are doing that too though sure. probably you know sure. like, yeah. <laughs> I mean uh, I, I guess in in where I'm speaking of it it's it's more so to say like it's an engaged human existence right that sees things beyond kind of a linear what has been collected what am I now yeah I, I don't I don't think it's possible to live without that based on just the pressures that social culture exists in. Like it it is a a culture of um, kind of constant accruing. Right. Um, And even in loss, you're accruing something else. You're accruing debt. You're accruing problems. You're accruing everything is is built. And that's where I say, you know, seeing... Remind me, I do want to return to the, the, the pagan stuff, but oh yeah, uh, seeing so much of culture building and building and building in that gamification I was talking about, where where you, you're given all these factors and then you have to figure out how to veer left and get out of it and, and move beyond it. Seeing so much of this spiritual thinking as like a step back and a simplification denies that those things exist. I know they do. I deal with them all the time. Right. I wake up in the morning and my body feels like shit or I, you know, go and deal with some other problem at my job that pays me money to live, to buy food, to buy medicine, to eat, to do whatever, you know. Um, 
I deal with that stuff and I acknowledge and I accept and I am thankful that those experiences are happening, but I'm not disregarding them as lesser or something that like now that I've stepped into a different spiritual thinking, I just, they're just perfunctory. It's more so like they're all happening and I feel totally prepared to engage with it because that's whatever I do is what I do. Yeah. It's the best that I could possibly do in that moment. And I hesitate to even call it the best. It's just what I did. Yeah. And, and I'm rife with failure. No doubt. <laughs> Failed plenty. Um, yeah. In, in someone's eyes and in someone's experiences yeah, I was say, by and someone's standards, exactly, but, you know, yeah. like I, I've done plenty that I, that, that has been, um, teachable. I was just listening to, uh, an episode of Buddha at the gas pump. Okay. Shout out. Yeah. Yeah. On the pod to the other pod. Um, <laughs> but I was just listening to an episode with, um, I believe he was mainly like a Shakti okay. derived Hindu teacher, um, whose name is also escaping me, but, um, he was talking about, um, something I don't fully agree with, but, but the concept that there is no teaching within an understanding of reincarnation, that there's no, nothing that exists that hasn't already been taught to you and, and been existing in all human life forever. And that just a veil is lifted in the life that you're in, that this thing is now available to you. Okay. Um, that, that sounds really similar to, um, I forget what it is, it's Plato's theory of you're, you're never learning anything, you're just remembering. Sure. That's like, the, that's the concept behind it. There's a word for it. I can't, I can't remember what it is, but yeah, it sounds similar to that. Yeah, like it, it's just kind of an understanding, because again, then also in, in teaching, I, I believe that we are taught. I don't, I don't necessarily fully follow what I had just said, but, um, you know, having that perspective that we are kind of awash in everything at every moment and that how we are navigating is so much derived from the tools that we were given in a moment and, right. and, and kind of what we were capable of doing and that nothing is faded. I don't really like that concept at all, that mm-hmm. there's kind of a predetermination to it, but I, I really do like the idea that just kind of... Um, we are, are beings that are just in a soup all the time mm-hmm. that, that things are available to us that we don't even realize and, and that we're kind of just milling around in it and, and grasping at things as they become available. Um, I, you know, I, I can't say how far that soup stretches, who knows, but, yeah. um, <laughs> it definitely feels at least in like a terrestrial way that, we're working through a lot of the same um, kind of cosmic ether a, a lot of the times and that um, so much of so much is available to us all the time. Um, and it's really about other suppressing things that keep us from it. Right. Um, and I think, you know, to return it to the, the pagan stuff and to return to this idea um, the the kind of tract of paganism that I'm coming from is uh, built through um, a fellow who's currently going by Oberon Zell. Right, from, um, from issue one of Newer Truth. From issue one, he's interviewed in issue one, um, has gone by Tim Zell, has gone by um, the Otter, he's gone by all kinds of, 
otter. That's yeah. a good one. <laughs> I've, I've found that otter is a name that a lot of um, different kind of like subcultural religious people have used as like really? a, a, a higher role or position. I'm, I yeah. would have to do more research to see as to why. I've always I've come across a few people that have gone by otter that have had kind of like stately roles in their chosen um, subcultural groups. So I don't know. Um, but uh, this this tract of paganism, which I, I think is pretty analogous to the, the common understanding, kind of started in the late 60s. Um, Oberon kind of had this, this vision, which was theogenesis and, you know, a dream state of some kind where he, he saw this kind of being that, that encapsulated everything and, and started to build this religion. And, and, you know, I hesitate to call it, I think he would call it a religion too, but under different terms. Yeah. Um, where it was integrating this idea, um, I think, really beautifully with um, a lot of, like, science fiction ideas that were coming up at that time and that kind of, like, post the 50s kind of new wave of science fiction that was super radical and was looking at different social things and looking at the way that social situations, um, you know, social hierarchies were structured. Yeah. Um, was pulling a lot from um, Heinlein. Okay. I was pulling a lot from, you know, other kind of like ancient uh, Greek stuff. And it just was super, uh, lots of things intersecting is, yeah, is, yeah. is what I think is cool about it. And is so much a product of just like where people's brains were at, you know, in that post-World War II boom. Of, yeah. Of what was available to people and what was coming over in terms of Eastern religion and kind of those cracks in the Christian kind of firm hand in the United States as it's starting to peel away a little bit during that time. Um, uh, cool. Yeah. Cool for stuff sure. for sure. Um, Oberon, his, um, primary partner, uh, who RIP has, has, has passed, um, various other partners, people in the group, um, started to put together the church, that he is currently involved with, um, Church of All Worlds, which I believe is also pulled from Stranger in a Strange Land, which is oh right the novel he pulled quite a bit from. Um, just started to put together, I don't know what what, what I think is a really cool um, person driven religion. Um, has a lot to do with. Um, you know, claims to have innovated the idea of polygamy, the term polygamy, at least. Oh, really? Um, or not? Maybe not polygamy. Uh, polyamory. Something. One of those okay, terms okay. he like claims I was to say, have. I thought, the, I thought the Mormons were. I mean, not they weren't the first, but they were. <laughs> they, they were definitely the, the sure. progenitors of that um, idea on this colonized continent, anyways. <laughs> yes. Um, polyamory perhaps so one of those terms right, right. Wh- whether they actually have claim to it who knows but yeah. um you know had kind of intentional um multi-partner romantic communities that you know i in, in my research on it kind of you know one thing i think is really beautiful about it is is very intentional romantic communities very like um engaged attempts to maintain not only kind of like the carnal, you know, sort of I want to have sex with multiple people element of it, but also like how do we have multiple multiple person families that operate with multiple partners and different, right? You know, um, 
structures of the hard shit (laughs) yeah like stuff stuff that that, you know is actually the the basis of how people form any kind of relationship that is meaningful and that exactly starts to build stock of some kind um and you know pulled uh water sharing from stranger in a strange land which is kind of the practice of being just in a body of water together and having that kind of be a meditative moment where, you know, I'm sure it can be as mundane as sitting and talking in water, but mm-hmm. having the shared presence of water make them feel closer to this concept of a shared terrestrial body Yeah, that they kind of look at. Um, and there's plenty of, you know, ritual worship and all that kind of pagany stuff that is really, a, you know, a part of the kind of public view of, of that religion now. Right. Um, but uh, really kind of in touch with that era of subculture where they're putting out what starts as a newsletter and becomes a magazine where they're kind of doing um, all kind of like world traveling and figuring out different ways to like fund themselves. And um, there's a very funny chapter in Oberon's history where he, and I, I don't necessarily agree with this, but a different time, um, he made some amount of a fortune off of binding goats' horns when they were young so that their horns would grow as one fixed kind of horn. Oh, like a... And then selling them to circuses as unicorns. Oh, wow. Which is, you know, in retrospect, kind of an ugly thing. Yeah, but I yeah think, that's a bit cruel. Again, was was just a product of a time where, like, I don't think this religion, as much as it is serious and as much as it was, you know, totally an expression, it was also an expression of, like, nerds and an expression of, like, right, yeah, people that were just, like, engaging some, with, like... <laughs> I read some awesome books and had some really wild visions and I want to be around other people that'll let me talk about that. <laughs> right. Like, it, 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 very human-centric and yeah. very, like, you know, constantly at the kind of whim of just whatever these people had entering into their brains. Um and that's where I think maybe it's most fascinating to me is just kind of like what what is a religion, the greater world religions, if not just the kind of mechanism of many people doing one thing. I think it's been diluted in a lot of ways by these dogmatic kind of like from the top down right. edicts and hierarchy know, and where, dogma where does the money that. go yeah. and all of this. Like all of that has has Obviously, I mean, it goes without saying that that has had a huge impression on greater world religions, but what it means to kind of build your own sort of intersectional spiritual movement. Right. Um, have a mystic experience. That's what, right. that's, what that's and, all and, about. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, um, what that means to people across the board, I, I, I would say, you know, I look at the pagan thing and and I really do feel a a type of way about that kind of shared earthly vision. I I think that kind of falls in line with where my spiritual self lands is that there is sort of a a connecting force between everybody, a a God force. Right. Um, And that so much of our experience is, is that. Yeah. Perhaps we just don't realize it and that there are practices that bring us closer to that. Um, you know, that became very, very cool to me, finding this this version of that. Right. That felt kind of like 
subcultural and, and, and punk almost in its own way. Definitely, yeah. I mean, there's nothing closer to the punk movement than hippies, as Gizm points out. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I like that a lot. That is that is the one thing about like most pagan movements that I that I have found the most interesting is their like communal way of living and all all of that. Like that's seems idyllic, but those are the people who are like. I don't know when I when I talk to like you know boomers to to use the term, uh, that's something that is often brought up is that you know like that style of living that lifestyle they tried that shit in the sixties it didn't work, mm-hmm. and it's like no there's still people hammering that shit out right now it just takes work that's it right. takes effort and that's what these people are doing they're experiencing that they're doing that work and taking the notes and like living a full expressive life amongst other people who are living full expressive lives and, and yeah, just hammering all that out. And it's, and it's valuable. I, yeah. It, it's, it is. it's beautiful. And I think it's something that we are going to need in the future, maybe sooner than we think, <laughs> you know, For sure. like that experience is going to be, I think some of the most valuable like information we can pull from to make a better future. Agreed. And, and I think it is the, uh, the absolute, goal of so much religion is is you know to to get closer to that kind of shared vision of uh, a united force uh, of, right. of myself and my neighbor and the man that lives an hour away and the person that lives uh, across the entire planet that we're all intersecting under one greater thing right um that <laughs> again puts you in that position of Kind of like, I'm with it. I'm on the right team that has existed forever and continues to be a right. problem of like, which team am I on? I better be on the right one. Exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, it kind of eliminates the need for a team at that point because it's all just like we're we're in, like. I think that that's kind of why I like the water sharing thing mm-hmm. that you were explaining earlier because that's like kind of what my envisionment is of what like that God force kind of is. When I try to think of an analogy of it, I think of swimming in water. Like if mm-hmm. the whole world was water, we were all under it, God would be what we're swimming in. Mm-hmm. But it would also be all of us that are swimming and all the other things that are swimming. It would be all of it, but we're just swimming through it. It's like, it is like a connective tissue for everything because mm-hmm. I mean, in my personal belief, there, there is actually no separation, and the whole point of this existence is to express the illusion of separation so that we can see what this will be like. Right. And, and in that, there will be suffering. There will be, like, right. total... But what would, like, a, you know, what would a non-suffer... Like, <laughs> I heard somebody ask this question the other day. If you, if you were going to be on, you know, a desert island by yourself for forever and you had a DVD player and you could bring 10 DVDs, would you bring all comedies? Like, you'd have to be fucking crazy <laughs> to just want to watch comedies over. Like, you sure. need a range of experience. You need a range of emotion. If you were, you know, living a timeless, stress-free, absolutely immaculate, anything you want is there existence, you would be clamoring to get to a place where you had limitation and you had separation and you had, like, I just want to know what that, I would just want to know what that would be like, you know? It would and, be. And so many people do. And right. I, I think, you know, within so much privilege there's so much desire for suffering and so much right. desire for all these things and i don't know like i i've definitely encountered people and this you know again speaks to 
sort of that like, well, I found my cosmic answer and I'm here is people who go and, and do something, you know, maybe like vaguely Eastern religious. Yeah. We'll go and do... Or like an ayahuasca experience. And sure, like that's Amazon a perfect some example. Shit like that. That's the one, um, that's like the, the trope right now is, is that one, yeah. Um, goes and does this thing and is, you know, cracked wide open by it and comes back and is just like, I've gone and seen the other side and now it's it's tremendously different and, and I just see things for what they are and it's like, well, like, I don't know. Like, perhaps you do. But but you're you're, I don't know. I don't I don't want to contend that with then them looking at before that as suffering or something for some reason. But I think there's an attraction to so much of what's the right word for it like problem and solution mm-hmm. desire almost to see like that dual view of like this is the problem. It is perhaps solvable or not, but there's this, and then there's solution, and I'm so, oh, I'm so close to solution. Solution is right on my doorstep, and I right. know I'm going to get there, and it's going to be fucking sick. Yeah. It's going to be so perfect. And it's like, you know, I, I think it's part of why uh, later in life and, and where I am now as a person, really starting to become attracted to Jesus... <laughs> Yeah, that, as an image. that was actually going to be my next question, uh, yeah. not to back it up too much, but what, like, if you can remember, was there, like, an inciting incident or an exci- inciting, like, moment where you were like, oh, this Christian shit makes sense to me? I mean, I I, I think I pull, unfortunately, in, in the New Age way, and as someone who's not really raised That's religious... That's not unfortunate I, at all. Sure. <laughs> if you're going to take Christianity, I'm sure. going to prefer it from the New Age angle. Well, I... <laughs> By that I mean to say, like you know, I'm I'm reading Hindu stuff, Buddhist stuff. I'm taking kind of everything from everything, and that that right. you know, I, I do think there's a lot to be said of of really just taking a path and following it and getting to a place and then opening up and bringing those other things in. I, I wish that I would have had that opportunity, but I just don't think it was in the cards for me. I, I just started pulling because I'm an internet-based spiritual person, right? <laughs> right, pulling from what I can get. Um, but I, I think what um, you know, in a lot of ways, it was approaching a Cynthia Bourgeau or a Richard Rohr or... Was there anything um, that, like, put them in your lap, though? Or was that, like, just something that you came across in your seeking? I mean, it, was, it seeking? was milling around through thinkers and, and, and listening to people talk and, and finding whatever I could get because I was looking for something that felt as close to what I was starting to just think about. I, I definitely okay. did not, like... I wasn't delivered the idea with this pagan stuff, which I feel like a lot of that was sort of my first desire to get into a more formed spiritual understanding. A lot of this was just like personal philosophy for me for a long time when it became kind of like, okay, there's someone else that I can work in this framework was the pagan stuff because I was like, I I do feel like there's a shared um, consciousness across everything. Yeah. I, I feel like not a shared consciousness that is, God looking down, right, but, right. That, but that all of our consciousness is shared through one human experience right. that, that is not only human, but is frog and bird and rock exactly. and all these things well, that's, unified. I think that's something that is expressed uh, beautifully, like in just the words of Jesus constantly talking about I am 
and that's like that's kind of the end of the set of the statement you know like right. i am is just a statement of existence and that that's actually the thing that i say that's like a lot of the statements i make before i meditate are i am statements mm -hmm. and that was the part that was hitting me this morning of that non-dual thing it was like i am is just stating existence and like calling god like the great i am is literally just saying existence is god mm -hmm. and that's <laughs> that's it and like but it's like conceptualizing that and then feeling that and experiencing that are like two totally different things i mean they're not completely different obviously like you have to kind of have a concept of it to know what you're experiencing but i mean yeah i don't know it, it I think that that is one of the things that I do appreciate about having grown up Christian mm -hmm. is that I do have a lot of those like things that were shoved down my throat and that I hated so much from when I was younger, like words of Jesus still just pop into my head sometimes. And I'm like, oh, that makes total fucking sense now that I'm not like looking at it through, you know, the the goggles that were handed to me by a pastor, you know, <laughs> like right. that I was trying to make this book that was written by, you know several different people across several different time spans trying to make it into one cohesive word of God. It's literally just other people's experiences. Right. And like, yeah, I don't know, not to go off on a tangent on Christianity, no. but like that is, that is, I, I think one of the things that now that I'm reapproaching spirituality in my adulthood that I'm appreciating about Christianity are those things, the I am statements, the, the understanding that like, <laughs> I mean, I don't think Jesus was speaking in code, but it's been turned into code by the culture that sprung up out of Catholicism and right. Christianized the world, you know? Right. It, the, the symbolism of it is, is... Right. And I think that's where I'm most uh, attached to it is, like, I, I've never read the fucking Bible. That's great. I wish I had. <laughs> I, but, like, I, I don't... <laughs> it's I, the best I, way to be a Christian is to not read the Bible. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, it, it is... I'm coming at it as the sum of its symbols and the sum of its kind of ramifications right. less than I am as, as it is dogma to me. Um, so where I'm approaching, I, I think the thing I like most about Christianity and sorry to answer your question, it was, it was thinkers. I think that's been my way for a lot of spiritual stuff is feeling away about something and then finally finding someone who talks about it and being like, Oh my God, thank you. Hell yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm so glad that, that, that this is like, can be put more eloquently than the way that I'm feeling it, and I can experience someone else's kind of, um, you know, creating a diamond out of the pressure right, style yeah. thought. Um, I think the most attractive thing about Christianity for me now is the sort of image of the sacrifice of Jesus, because I think it speaks so kind of plainly about something that I find myself engaging with and questioning all the time is that this notion that Jesus died for every darn person's sins right? and that we continue to sin, that we continue to exist in it, and that perhaps we have to make sacrifices in our lives and have experiences that are not the direct result of our actions that, right. that we have to bear the brunt of a shared human experience that we that we have to exist for what we do as much as we exist for what you do right someone else does um i mean i think that that's part of the shared consciousness thing we were talking about 100%. though that is literally what like 
because understanding that you and I are just different aspects of the same whole, the same right. being, obviously your, your actions are going to affect me because we're one. <laughs> like, and being willing to, to take the shit end of, <laughs> of something sometimes means you're you're just the the back that can carry it right now you're just the you're just the hand on the you know if we're all one big being you're just you know the free hand that has the time to grab it and clean up the mess or whatever you know and i wouldn't even say was has the time but more so was just in a place where my hand was out right exactly in, in this my hand was too. empty so it needed like i could fill it with whatever needed to be filled right <laughs> um and i think it speaks i mean so kind of plainly, too, about so many of the problems that I agree are 100% problems. I think it's so easy to get into the mindset we're talking about and then to just disregard and go into that, like, oh, right. non-dual defiance of, like, yeah, eh, this is less than what I should be dealing with. But, like, so many inherent world problems, racism, right, is something where if I do non-racist action, if I do anti-racist action, it does not stop. Racism, no, is what I'm doing. Even anti-racist, I'm a white person. It, can I can I be inherently away from that system? No. Can can anyone, if a grand populace of people comes together and performs in an anti-racist way, which I think we see now more than ever, is is people working in that direction, whether it be from genuine, yeah, genuine, geez, genuine <laughs> embodiment of that feeling or whether it's because it's what ends up happening it doesn't end there being racism right. in, our, in our world. It, it still very much exists. So I think when you, when you think about things like that and, and you, you know, see someone get so frustrated and so kind of embroiled in like, well, I'm, I'm doing all these things and the problem is still here and I'm, I'm infuriated by it. That's only furthering the, the kind of, um, I want to say egoistic, but that that is what I'm talking about. But I, it sounds so like, oh, the ego. You know, like it's not my way. It's not really the way I look at things. But right, right. You're you're entrenching yourself in further suffering and entrenching yourself in further kind of um, conflict. Right. In something that you're viewing as a game you can win. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's right back to the the you know the the thing to be cured or the thing right. to be like. Uh, I mean, I feel like you kind of have to have the mindset if you're going to take on those those actions, if you're going to, you know, be a part of some movement like that. You kind of have to have the idea that this is just something I'm doing now because it's what's right and I'm trying to relieve suffering, mm-hmm. not take on more suffering for myself over something that is not part of, like, you know... I, I am not going to solve the problem, right. but I'm going to do what I can to relieve suffering. And, you know, there might be some suffering on my end in trying to do that, but making more suffering by languishing over how there's no end to this problem is just making more problem and more suffering. <laughs> well, to that point, I don't think you're moving with the actual flow of, of what you want to be doing. Right. And, you know, I have definitely found myself in situations where, as I've said, as a young person, I was fighting against the flow of what felt natural because I thought it had something to, better to do with what would put me in a more comfortable place. Right. And all of that is such a, like, uh, 
it's building a whole like room of illusion for yourself that you exist in it is is well I'm I am compulsed to to see the world as a you know a comfortable chair and an uncomfortable chair mm-hmm. and how how am I going to get out of the uncomfortable chair and into the comfortable chair all day it, it, it's just not it just isn't like that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of things are going to be uncomfortable or going to engage in a way that can come across as suffering. But I think for me now, it's just a matter of, of doing closest in the direction of what feels natural, which feels maybe not like the word I want to use, but the word that feels accessible to me right now. The, the kind of flow of where I'm at, there, there is no chair to sit in. Right. I'm still moving. Yeah. And that's the way I'd prefer it be. Is right. That I'm still moving forward and, you know, engaging in a way that feels in, in service of everything around me. Yeah. I mean, that's, I feel like the most <laughs> that we could offer at any point is to just be observant. Like, I, I, I feel like the, the most, like, spiritual experience I have ever had it happened on an acid trip. I've talked about it on here before, but there was a point where I felt completely connected to absolutely everything. Like everything was fucking possible. Like I was in touch it with that place inside of me that was God. And I felt it like a million times harder than I did this morning in my meditation. It was like right there in me. Mm-hmm. And the like, the only thing that I could think to do with all that power in that moment was just feed my cat because she was hungry. You know, <laughs> it's like <laughs> I, I just want to help whatever's in front of me. I'm, I just need to be an open hand, willing to help where I can, mm-hmm. and that's the most I can offer. Mm-hmm. Is you know, uh, there's uh, a guy. I think it's David Nickturn that says this, but uh, one one of those guys in the Ramdas circles. Uh, his big thing is, you know, when you get hung up on all these things, again, you're just creating more suffering. His saying, like, is tend to the part of the garden you can touch. And I think that's sums it up perfectly. Like, whatever's within your reach to do, whatever service you have available to you you, that, you know, feels like it's there for you, do it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, live in it and, you know, do it to your best extent. And that's really all anybody can ask of you. Mm including God, because that's, because <laughs> that's your God's expression doing that, you know, yes. like, and I don't think God necessarily asks for anything. Right. Um, and that's kind of the cool well, thing. Well, yeah, I don't either, you, but <laughs> yeah, I agree with you on that. <laughs> when, when, when you get there with them, uh, they, uh, I feel like are, uh, again, it's, it's just nice to take the ride when it arrives. I think that's, that's a big, right. uh, Cynthia Borgia ideas. When, when that moment comes, be ready for it in a way where you're not anticipating it, but that it comes and you are embodied in it as fully as can be. And then enjoy also that it leaves. Yeah. Enjoy also that it goes. Right. And know that, that it's always there and that you, you'll experience it again, but that you, you, it's not something you're going to just take. Right. It's exactly. It's not something, you know. It's not something you can prescribe yourself. <laughs> right. And, and that there are so many experiences that... that you know, will will get you perhaps in a better practice. I think meditation is chief among them. I think, you know, taking drugs is a, a way. I, I think yoga is a way. I think any kind of real real disciplined action is another way where you're 
existing in, in a kind of repetition that feels comfortable where you're able to better see perhaps subtler things about existence. I, I think right. that's totally um, viable. Uh, another uh, topic that I covered in the, the first issue of the magazine um, was uh, Kalindi, i.e., which we've talked about uh, right. previously, you and I. Um, he was somebody who did a lot of psychedelic research, did a lot of um, sort of like Terrence McKenna-esque mushroomy stuff, um, and also was a big um, force in bring over a lot of African martial arts styles that were at the time inaccessible to right. Western people, um, where, you know, in Africa, he was going there and they were taking these drugs to kind of alter their perception of this experience of being in this discipline. Um, and I say that as someone who has very strong opinions about the, the Joe Rogan spirituality era that we're in right now and the, the, the Joe Rogan yeah. um, self-actualizing. Uh, yeah, there, there are a lot, of, a lot of thinkers right now kind of, I don't know. I I specifically don't want to throw a ton of shade on this show, but I know exactly the direction you're going. Well, Joe Rogan has the, like, oh, yeah, I like microdose mushrooms seven days a week right. so that I'm a more effective fighter. Like, I think that's pretty whack to the max, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. But um, certainly, you know, looking at disciplined, consistent repetition as something that opens up a greater awareness of the difference in things. I think right. that's totally, totally I, the way to go. I Definitely. I, I feel that way as well. I think that where we get in trouble with people like Joe Rogan and people like John Joseph and people like Jordan Peterson yeah. is when we try to tell other people that they need to live that way or they're doing something wrong. Sure. I, I think that is like the real key there because that is the thing that, that I've been seeing more and more often from people that like get more disgusted with spiritual expression is that they're coming into contact with those kinds of things mm -hmm. where people are like, this is the right way and anything else is wrong. It's if medicinal. Exactly. Yeah. If you're, if you're not doing this, then you're just too soft or you're just, you know, a cuck or whatever, <laughs> whatever they want right. to, whatever they want to prescribe it. But like, I, I don't know. I, I can't, Again, I've said this on here before, and I've said it to you before, but the, the Sufi saying, there are as many paths to God as there are people in existence, mm -hmm. that I feel is 100% true. And you can't tell anybody else that they need to be more disciplined. Like, I, I feel like that can be one of the drawbacks to meditation, is feeling like you're not disciplined enough and berating yourself for it or belittling yourself. Like, that... If I don't want to meditate one day, I just don't do it. <laughs> like it's it's okay. Mm -hmm. It's I mean, it feels good to meditate and I love doing it, but there are days when I get up and you know, the first thing I do is look at my phone and for some reason I'll see something that sends me and I just won't meditate that day and it's like, "Oh, I oh, whatever." I, I, there are times when I want to like beat myself up over it, but it's like an active like I have to step out and think like Oh, that's like a, a Joe Rogan thought, you know, <laughs> like that's a, I know I said I didn't want to throw shade, but it's, uh, I, I just personally, I'm just on a, a kind of a mission to 
not speak ill of anybody. But I don't sure. think that's necessarily even speaking ill. That's just something I disagree with. I just disagree blatantly with what's being said. I mean, he might as well be a human brand. So right. speak of him <laughs> exactly. that way. You know? exactly. like, yeah, um, yeah. He's a, he's a company at this point. So. Right. It's, 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 I guess then here, a way to spin it, perhaps. There are people who I love tremendously, who I really care about, who I know have suffered more than they should. And I've seen those people attracted to um, things that a person who's not them says, oh yeah, this is the ticket. This is it. Mm-hmm. This, this is the medicine. This is the cure. I, I, as someone who have just seen a lot of doctors and, and seen a lot of therapists and seen a lot of people who have said this, this is the cure... I, you know, tr- tried plenty of those things, and, and so much of it, I was a kid, and I wasn't embodied in at all. I was just like, okay, put this pill in my mouth and see what happens, you know? Right. Um, didn't work. Didn't work. I, I'm at where I'm at now, and I'm, I'm, in a lot of ways, really happy about where I'm at now, um, but still dealing with a lot of the same problems. But but more so, seeing seeing people I care about deal with problems and, and going and doing this thing. Um, and more often than not coming to me and looking at me and saying like, that was incredible. But, but knowing myself, Mm -hmm. seeing it maybe even in their face in that moment, like that, that thing is, that problem is not gone. That's is not gone. Um, you are trying to think of the right metaphor for this. Um, you came home from Disney world in the Mickey Mouse shirt and you're stoked to show it off because mm-hmm. you were at Disney World and that place is cool and crazy. Um, but now you're home, you have the shirt, it's a great souvenir, but you're not going back to Disney World. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, <laughs> you're just here, you're yeah, at home. You're at home and, now, you've got to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> right. I, I, as much as I'd love to see your t shirt every day, like, yeah. Uh, I, I doubt you'll wear it every day. Yeah, you're probably going to lose it at some point. <laughs> right. It'll be full of holes. Yeah, exactly. Sooner rather than later. So. I, I suppose that's really more my approach to it. It's just that, you know, I spend so many days of my life looking at situations I'm in and being like, God, I'm miserable. Oh, this is terrible. This is the worst. Um, but at no point for me currently in my life does that bring about a sense of disappointment or a sense of any feeling that is grounded in possession or, or right. feeling, you know, really engaged in like, I tomorrow something's going to change. Tomorrow right. I got to get up off my ass and do this. Yeah. It's just not my approach anymore. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think you my approach is. Stepped out of the narrative mind, which is, I think, the, one of the hardest fucking things to do. That's what I realize whenever I'm upset, whenever I'm in a moment where where I'm like, losing my shit when I lost my temper for something. It's always because the story I've been telling myself all day, month, year, whatever, just took a turn to where it is not the story I had imagined now. Mm -hmm. And that concept just freaks me out and makes me angry. But, I mean, that's literally what this whole show is about. That's what this whole podcast is about, is those moments when the narrative stops working. And it's... Mm -hmm. I, I think that that is one of my biggest uh, 
struggles, but also one of the things I'm finding to be the most beautiful about the spiritual, you know, learning path, whatever you want to call it, is the the noticing of that, the understanding, like, now when I, when I think to fly off the handle, my immediate thought is, what story was I telling myself? Mm. What, why did I think that it had to be this way? Like, what, you know, just, just because I took a left turn here, it just means there's a new, a new path in front of me that I'm not seeing right now. Mm-hmm. And, and that's exciting. Yeah, it, it, it is. But you have to be able to have the frame to see that it's there and exciting as sure. opposed to my life's over, you know? Well, I mean, I've, I think I've suffered too much anxious, what I would call, you know, an, an anxious kind of grip almost on that and, and seeing the world as being something that is in my hand and my fingers are totally curled around it and it's like trying to get out mm-hmm. less so than that kind of open palm. Like yeah. it's going to jump out the second it wants to. And, and right. that's by all means. And, and if for some reason it's something I really like, you know, that's fucking unfortunate. <laughs> but like, <laughs> right. it's not, it's not my really, it's not my place to say. Yeah, and, and and I live my life in a way that is as directly engaged with the things and the people that I love as I can. Yeah, um, and I I desperately hope by that I am returned plenty of love and satisfaction and purpose as a result. But you know, uh, sometimes you just get dealt some bratty kids that, that you know, you spend your, your whole time uh, raising, let's go back to the garden metaphor, it's better than kids. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you, you raise the beautiful uh, corn stalk and it's seven feet high, it's in front of you, you get this giant piece of corn off of it and it's fucking covered in bugs. You know, whatever. Right. <laughs> not, not much you can do about it. Those yeah. bugs had a, you know, hell of a meal, but yeah, it's, it's, gone from you now right you know it's no um, i i feel like you could bludgeon it with metaphors like that exactly well i i like the open hand one a lot because i mean again i feel like we keep i feel like we we keep saying coming back to the same points over and over because it is like that is the point. That is kind of the whole thing is learning sure. to keep the hand open. I'm just trying to fill your podcast up. You're dying. Yeah. I mean, hey, we're, we're at an hour and a half now, so we're sure. good. <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to suss it all out. No, we're doing uh, we're doing great. I'm loving this conversation. That like I I really appreciate this. Sure. Um, I we are, like I said we're at an hour and a half now though. I don't want to keep you all fucking night, but um, well, I'll say this. Yeah, I was gonna say the, you know, the other my other end of this is you know. Uh, I do newer truths. It's a thing that I'm passionate about uh, on, a, obviously, an internal spiritual level. Um, it is at the same time something that I play with just the conventions of publishing and the conventions of um, what so many of these um, 60s, 70s, 80s, into the 90s publications were doing. Um, the newer truths itself is based on uh, Green Egg, which is the magazine that kind of existed in different forms throughout the Church of All Worlds, kind of coming and going through that period. Um, there are a few other uh, fanzines and magazines. Um, Enchanté, 
which is uh, one that I'm actively searching for. If any of your listeners have copies of that, please reach out to the email. Um, <laughs> unlikely, but uh, another very cool, um, you know, mainly queer, pagan uh, fanzine. I, I don't even know what its full run was. I have bits and pieces of it, but it's very cool. Um, lots of uh, Green Egg offshoots, too. Um, I have many of those issues, and I'm happy to send them to people and sell them to people. I've had a really good experience reaching out to a lot of the people that I found in those magazines. Um, many of them contributed to the first issue. Um, I've gotten little weird, you know, packages from people. It's like, hey, here's, you know, five, six issues of this fanzine that existed for this amount of time. Like, oh, that's so sick. The guy that wrote it is dead, and I am his literary executor. That was one I really liked, right? I like, really? reached out to a Facebook page for this person that I discovered through, you know, kind of that, like, nerdy deep diving into who's thanked and what things, all, all that. I love doing that. Um, but reached out to his literary executor and got uh, a bunch of copies of uh, a fanzine. I won't... I, I, I think I'm going to include it in the next issue a little bit, but... Uh, I was told that everyone who was involved in the group was sworn to secrecy whenever okay. they uh, joined. It was like a um, San Francisco-based, all-queer, um, I think mo- mostly gay men. I'm not, I'm not, it might have been an only like a gay men's um, group in the early 80s um, called Lavender Magic. They used to do rallies and parades okay. and all kinds of stuff out there. Um, but all the members swore to secrecy. But I got a bunch of their like oh, that's awesome. fanzines and like recaps from trips they took to islands and stuff. It's yeah. really like cool, beautiful stuff. Um, that's the reason I do the magazine. Um, it's something that I really like. I really like having conversations about what I write about in there. I'm always looking for people to contribute. Um, you know, please any of what I'm talking about. I don't, I don't even really think I'm going to include a lot of this like Christian stuff in the issue. Though. I want to kind of keep it in the wheelhouse of a lot of that pagan stuff, right. but I'm, I'm doing some writing on those topics and um, trying to pull in as close of a kind of tribute to that movement as I can. So um, encourage people to really look into Obronzel, to look into Green Eggs, look into all that stuff. Reach out to me. I'm happy to send things along and, you know, Awesome. Spread the good word. <laughs> well, well, where can where can people get a hold of you? I'll put it in the show notes too, but just so it's on um, audio. Newer truths spelled incorrectly on purpose to open that third eye up. Um, <laughs> truths with an es. Okay. So I, my goal was to have it pronounced truths because I think that's corny truths. and pretentious. I like that. A little, I try to have a little fun with it because all those guys had fun with it when they yeah, were yeah. doing it too. Um, that's on Instagram, right? It's on Instagram. Uh, Neurotruths at Gmail is my like preferred way. I love email. Cool. Um, send me an email. I'll send you stupid shit in the mail. I love doing that. Um, oh, you table too, right? I recently did did a table. Uh, my goal, once things get a little less COVIDy, if they ever do, um, is Omicron's to... on its way, buddy. <laughs> uh, for those at home, I'm rubbing my hands together. Yeah, I'm right. waiting for uh, the plague that's going to wipe us all out. Yeah, to... seriously. <laughs> Hurry up, guys. Um, yeah, I, I'm really uh, hoping to take it to um, some of the conventions. And I mean, I did like a, a, a book event recently, but uh, yeah, like Starwood. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's an no. Ohio based, like super oh, no, long running. Pagany, 
you know, druidy, magic-y. Where at in Ohio? Um, I think it maybe has moved around a little bit, um, but I'm pretty sure it's near Cleveland. Okay. Well, it's like... Let me know when that is. I'll go with you if you want. I'd fucking love to go to that shit. <laughs> Meet up with Newer Truths at, at Starwood Festival 2022. They, they had it last year, but I, I was still a little cautious about right, yeah. crowd stuff. So. Understandably. Um, yeah, always looking for opportunities to bring it out into the world and to talk to people. I, the event I just did, I talked to people for a long time about this stuff, and it was that's why I do it. And that's it's the best feeling. That's why I'm doing this. So. That because I hate writing. <laughs> I like writing. But. I know you do. I, I want to be a writer. When I think about what I want to do, I want to write. But then I'm like, I, I actually hate putting pen to paper, though. So this is the logical <laughs> conclusion of that. So hell yeah. Uh, any like final thoughts you want to leave people with? Um, not specifically. Sick. <laughs> I like it. Uh, just keep doing the thing, I guess. And if you want to build a little uh, altar in the woods, uh, you should do it. Fuck yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks so much, Cole. I appreciate it. Thanks.